welcome to the Business Brainwave Show with Renata Jute, where we will look at ways to optimize your business. In this episode of Business Brainwaves, we talk a bit about what it is we need to know about wills. So when we talk about wills, we are referring to our last will and testament. And that is the document where we normally would want to uh, indicate what we own and what our wishes are with our assets. So really, why do we need a will? A will really allows us to decide who the beneficiaries would be of our estate. So if we own various assets, we can determine who we wish to inherit these various assets. And um, if you don't have a will, you refer to die as intestate, and the assets will then devolve intestate. So who's then competent to make a will? Well, really, any person, male or female, over the age of 16, um, unless, of course, they are mentally incapable of appreciating the consequences of their actions at the time of drafting the will. So needless to say, um, it would be advisable that you have a certain amount of assets to draft a will, but as I say, anyone over the age of 16 that is mentally sound can draft a will. And now once we decide that we do have some assets and we are mentally sound and of a, an age, who can assist us to draft that will? Well, basically you can draft your own will, but we wouldn't advise that because really there are certain things that we do need to take into account. We've got various acts that come into play here and also sometimes what our wishes are are not necessarily what um, can actually happen. So it is really advisable to get people to assist you that specialize in this. Now that could be attorneys, it could be banks, it could be chartered accountants, could be boards of executors, insurance companies, trust companies, or just people that actually specialize um, in uh, working with deceased estates and trusts. Generally, um, FISA members, that, that is the Fiduciary Institute of South Africa, FISA members would be able to assist you, and your FPI members, who are your financial planning institute members, so your, your financial planners that are actually accredited and registered with these bodies, would be able to refer you to a party if they were not able to assist you. So yes, you can draft your own will, but it certainly isn't advisable. It is, however, advisable to at least start with an idea of what it is you would want to see in your will, because that will certainly make it easier. Okay, so now we've decided we need a will, we're competent to draft the will, and we found someone to assist us with this will. Now we need to know who will be uh, capable of witnessing this will. So there's also certain criteria for that. And really, it's quite simple. Any person over the age of 14, so 14 and older, um, and is competent at the time to act, they can, in actual fact, um, sign as a witness. So what does competent mean? Competent means if you are competent to give evidence in a court of law. So that, well, that's really how they would determine or classify you as competent. So if you are deemed competent, you are 14 years and older, Yes, you qualify and you may sign as a witness, but be very mindful because we strongly advise that if you are to benefit from this will, in other words, you are a beneficiary, 
you should not sign as a witness because in most in instances the um, witnesses of a will is disqualified from receiving any benefit from that will. Now there are certain exceptions to this rule but that means you have to throw money at it and you just don't want to really fall foul of this. So don't ask your children for argument's sake to sign as uh, beneficiaries of that will if you wish for them to benefit from your will. Now who is then disqualified from inheriting? So remember we normally say well we can decide who can inherit um, on our will but there are certain things that would disqualify people from inheriting. So um, people that would be disqualified would be a person or his or her spouse who writes a will or any part thereof on behalf of the testator or a person or his or her spouse who signs the will on instruction of the testator or as a witness. So remember I just said don't sign as a witness if you think you're going to inherit from this will. Now here it says it disqualifies you from inheriting uh, on a will. So if you've drafted that will um, on request of the party or you have signed the will or signed as witness you will be disqualified to inherit from that will. Now we've got the will, we've decided who will inherit, we've witnessed the will, everyone signed the will, now where do we actually keep this will? Man and do I struggle with this. Remember that I assist my clients with wrapping up deceased states and this is always our very first stumbling block. When people approach me and say, so-and-so has passed away, we need your assistance to come on board and help us wrap up this estate. And the list of documentation, uh, the first document on there I request is a copy, or not a copy, the original will. So I need the original will that I need to submit to the Master of the High Court. And time and time again, the original will is missing. We can find copies of the will, we can find certified copies of the will, but the actual original will is often misplaced. Now remember, the master is mandated to accept an original will only. So now if you don't have an original will, that's where our trouble starts. And immediately you have a time delay, you may have to throw money at this problem. So don't do this to yourself. Ensure that when you sign your will, that you keep the original will in a safe place. I know that in certain instances, what some attorneys would do is they will have two original copies signed. One will go with the client, one will be kept at the attorney's office, and in that way they feel that that is safer. The problem is that if uh, the client then goes elsewhere and later drafts another will, then the um, the copy at the attorney, the original that is at the attorney, is now superseded. So it does create uh, confusion and conflict, so be very mindful of that. It is advised that there should be only one original will, but ensure that your family or your attorney or whoever needs to attend to your estate after your passing knows where this original will is kept. 
and a scanned copy is not an original a certified copy is not an original so please be mindful of this this is in my personal experience the first big stumbling block that we find in estates and you know in the time when someone has passed away it is already a traumatic event people are already running around trying to sort things out this does not need to be one of those things don't let this happen to you make sure that you know where your original wall is and if you don't know where it is please sort that out now don't wait so once we are talking about that original will and we've now talked about who can sign and who can't sign let's see what the requirements are for a valid will because you know we're going through all this trouble we want to make sure that at least our will is going to hold up in court and it's going to be valid that the master will accept this will so since january 1954 already it was stipulated back then already that wills must be in writing now this means it can be handwritten, it can be typed, it can be printed, but it must be in writing. So what we are saying is it can't just be a recording, it can't be verbal, it can't be overheard, it must be in writing. Also, the signature of the testator or the testatrix, that would be the female version of testator, must appear at the end of the will. The signature must be made in the presence of two or more competent witnesses. So, again, the key here is at the end of the will, the testator or testatrix must sign. And then it must be done in the presence of a minimum of two competent witnesses. Very important. I've so often seen where people will bring me a will and only they've signed the will. And I go, well, I can't do anything with this will. Yeah, but let's just get someone here in your office to sign as a witness. No, we can't do that. We need to witness. As witnesses, we need to witness that signature. Okay. Then, of course, the witnesses must sign, like I just said, in the presence of the testator or the testatrix. So they must witness this person sign. Um, and then if the will has more than one page, so if it is multiple pages, the testator, testatrix, must sign each and every page. The witnesses only need to sign the last page. So they don't need to sign each and every page, but they must witness the testator, testatrix, sign on each page. So this is very important. So let's go through those four points again. The will must be in writing. The testator, testatrix, must sign the will at the end of the will, so the, on the last page of the will. They must do so in the presence of a minimum of two competent witnesses. And if the will has multiple pages, the testator or testatrix must sign each and every page. Now, talking about a valid will, what is also an important point on a will, this wouldn't make it valid or invalid, but what is very important to also be noted on a will, is your executor. This is also a very important point, because why would I want to appoint an executor? Well, when you appoint an executor, 
First and foremost, you are already appointing someone that will take charge of matters, that will actually take care of the estate, and that will handle the affairs after death. The administration process of an estate is lengthy, it can be quite technical, it can be quite confusing for people that don't specialize in this. I do this for a living, and I have seen how overwhelming this can become. Just from by me asking for certain information already, remember, when you lose someone to death, all of a sudden, your, the clock stops ticking, your world comes to an end, and now you have to start running around with things. You do not necessarily want to have to deal with this as well. So it's important that you think very carefully of who you want to appoint as an executor. Now, in many cases, people will appoint a spouse or a close family member, and this is fine, provided that this person then can go out and appoint either an agent, that would be a party, let's call it such as myself, that can assist with the estate, or that can you can co-appoint. So you can appoint, let's say, your spouse and or a family member, and then a party such as myself, your attorney, whoever that can actually wrap up the estate, that knows how to handle the affairs in a deceased estate, that understands the legal requirements, the, the, the SARS and tax requirements, the accounting requirements, that knows what to do. What you need to understand is at no point do you have to appoint the institution or the person drafting your will. I've so often seen this, where people come, oh no, but the bank offered me a free will, provided they become the executor. You do not have to appoint people that draft your will. If they say, we will draft the will for you for free, provided you appoint me, then don't do that if you're not comfortable with that party. Sometimes it's better to rather pay for your will and know that you're getting proper advice. Um, you can appoint more than one person simultaneously as an executor. So like I said, you can co-appoint. I know I've been co-appointed on a number of wills. Um, you can nominate more than one person in case the nominated executor is unable to or unwilling to accept. So what does that look like? You would say, I appoint my brother as my executor, failing which I appoint Renata, for argument's sake. Now, why would we do that? Um, first, maybe the person that you appoint, the, the first option is maybe either incompetent, um, predeceases you, or that person decides, you know what, I actually don't know how to do this role, which means I can then rather hand over to the second party. And that is also an option. It's also very important that you indicate that uh, the executor does not need to provide security, if you're comfortable with that. The reason the master calls on security is because they want to make sure that the, the beneficiaries are protected. But if you don't have that clause in your will and the master now insists on security, what could happen is the person that you want to take on as executor is going to say, let's say for instance you appoint your brother and the master says, well, you need to uh, bring security. Your brother may say, well, I don't have 10 million rand security for this estate. I, I can't do that. Now the person can't take on the role. Generally, the master would not ask for security when you are appointing your spouse or your children, but sometimes when you are appointing other family members, there may be a question. 
And then something also to take into account when we're talking executors, the fee prescribed for executors is 3.5% on the value of your assets. That's, however, not necessarily the fee you need to pay. Um, you can negotiate sometimes that fee with certain people. Some people will pre-negotiate that fee and then make them an executor. Um, in certain cases, people go, oh, no, we don't charge an executor's fee. But then what they do is they charge a per transaction and per time fee. And you have no idea how quickly those fees can rack up. At least if you've got a fixed percentage fee, you know that that's the maximum it's going to cost you and it's not going to exceed that. So there are these things that one has to take into account. Um, so those are the things when it comes to executors. Now there are a couple of other things I want to touch on. I know this podcast is getting quite long, but the one other thing that I need to talk about is what happens after divorce. Um, we can always, in another podcast, I can look at amendments and codicils. But the one thing that is important for me, what happens when I get divorced? Guys, this is so important. I've seen this happen as well. The legislation dictates that if you get divorced, the first three months after your divorce, if you don't do anything about your will, then the... Um, the the law will take its course and it will deem as if you have changed your will. But if after three months of your divorce date you have not amended your trustee, uh, your, sorry, your will, you, you've not changed your will, then what will happen is it will be deemed that you wanted your will to remain as is. So let's use an example. I'm married. Currently, the beneficiary of my estate is my husband. We get divorced. Now, I also have an elderly mother and a brother. And um, my idea is that maybe after my death, rather that my estate should devolve on my mother and my brother, especially to my brother because he needs to now look after my elderly mother. And I discuss this with him verbally and I tell them, guys, you know what, I'm now divorced, I can't leave this to my husband anymore. Brother, please, I need you to look after mother after my death. And everyone agrees, yes, this is the best. I don't, however, change my will. Now I die. So six months later I die, my will has never been updated, and it still leaves my husband as my sole beneficiary. What will happen is my husband will inherit. Now, my family can go to court as much as they want. They can bring this in front of the judge and the judge will simply say, well, I had the first three months. I did not change my will. Therefore, the judge will assume that my wishes were for my ex-husband to still inherit. If, however, I die in that three-month period and my family goes to court and they say, well, this was what was discussed. This is the intention. The court will then rule that everything will then go to basically my family. But if I don't update my will, and guys, I have seen this in practice. Please do not think that this will not happen to you. If you are divorced, if you know of people that are divorced, and your intention is to change your will, please do that. And it even goes as far as for people that maybe cohabit and share children and then break up. When you've got that common law, com uh, yeah, common law spouses, please also look into this. And make sure that if you are on the receiving end, that you also make provision for your children. 
you do not want to be left stranded that if the partner has passed away and changed their will that you are left stranded and cannot look after the minor children because then what you would have to do is put in a claim, a maintenance claim for the children. Okay, guys, I don't want to have this podcast go any longer, but thank you so much for listening. I hope you've learned something new. And please, if I can be of any assistance, you've got any questions on walls, visit my, pod, uh, my, my, my website, go read some of my blogs, reach out, pop me an email. Everything will be down in the podcast blog. Always nice to have you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Business Brainwaves. For more Business Brainwaves, please visit my website nobleprosperity.co.za, follow me on Facebook or connect with me on LinkedIn. For easy access, the links are posted below.